Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Mr. Dave Wasson. Dave, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for saying yes, man, because there's a few people that I've, uh, I don't want to say chase because it makes me sound like a stalker, but I've chased and, and physically wanted to get on. And you were a pretty big part of my childhood. I told you I'd save this story from when we started. I remember where most people remember where they were. Like, I remember where I was on September 11th. Uh, I remember where I was at most seminal moments in my life. I remember where I was the, uh, the first time I ever saw Time Squad, man. I was sitting at home playing sick right this is after it uh, after it had um uh came out during the summer and shit 2001 is actually before september 11th uh you know probably the first month or two into school because being in florida we start in august and i i faked maybe the second or third week of school i faked being sick because i just i did not like school dave i didn't want to go it was boring and i was like i'm just gonna flip through the channels and i just happened to be a cartoon network kid man it was my favorite that was my favorite channel growing up and I see this on and I see these It was the first episode because they were playing it again. Right. Uh, I see the first episode and it's them flashing back and popping into the orphanage with Otto and shit. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then I hear a voice that I will never get out of my head. And that's Mark Hamill. Right. I instantly heard. I was like, oh, that's a joker right there. This guy got Mark Hamill. And then I, I couldn't get, you know, uh, I couldn't get too much of who Buck was. And I was like, man, this, this voice sounds familiar. It's not quite there. Who is this? And it's Rob Paulson. Right. My yes. voice actor of all time. Yeah. You've got the dynamic duo right out of the bat for these two characters, two of the three characters. And you had Pamela for Otto. Uh, where were you? Right. So, you know where I was when I saw this sitting on my couch, <clears throat> fake and sick, watching this cartoon, man. But do you remember where you were when this 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 concept popped into your head? It's like, shit, I want to explore. This is a cartoon. Uh, yeah, for sure. And let me say, I love the idea of kids that are faking, uh, uh, faking sick is exactly the audience that I would love to have that, uh, that really, that really pleases me to know that that <laughs> that's what was going on. And that was your, in, your entry, entry to the show. Um, yeah, actually before that I was working at, uh, Nickelodeon on uh, a series called Oh Yeah Cartoons. Mm-hmm. And that was one that like Fred Seibert was a producer. He also started What a Cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, which is like where um, Dexter's Lab came from and Powerpuff and Johnny Bravo. Uh, he did that over at Cartoon Network and then he jumped to Nickelodeon and kind of did a similar program. And when he was over there, he asked the people that he had worked with on What a Cartoon. He was like, was there anybody that that pitched us that I passed on that I should have picked up? And my name came up at the sort of at the top of that list. So that was really that was kind of flattering because I had pitched a cartoon over there and they they didn't seem to get it at the time. Um, so I made like 11 different shorts um, at at Oh Yeah Cartoons. 
And then uh, I was actually developing Time Squad as one of those, another short to, to make over there. Cause it was kind of like, it was a pilot program. So every short that we were making was really to, for potential series. So that's where that happened. And then it became clear that the, the pro that program was going to end. And, and Linda Siminski contacted me from Cartoon Network. And she was like, Hey, we love the shorts that you're making over there. You wouldn't have anything else uh, maybe laying around that you'd be interested in pitching. And I was like, ah, I just happened to have something. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I pitched it. It was really easy. I think at that time they were really hungrily looking for stuff and, uh, yeah, it was really great. I, I sort of sold that with just like this paper thin Bible mm -hmm. and no pilot, which ultimately sounds great from a business point of view. It was like, Oh, that's so amazing. Like they didn't even need a pilot, blah, 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 proof of concept. But what ends up happening is you end up having to develop the show while you're in production, which is a whole other giant can of worms. Yeah. Um, but that was like, yeah, that was, that was the origin of, of how time squad came to be. So how does this initial concept get up here, man? What, what were you doing? Were you watching back to the future? Like, man, I'd like to do something like this, but funny, right? How, how did that, how did that come about? I always loved, I always loved time travel stuff. And I, you know, one of my heroes was always and still is Tex Avery. And I always loved the fact that Tex Avery kind of like uh, he didn't rely so much on main characters. It was sort of like the gags. Every 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 cartoon he made often was like a new setting, like King Size Canary. It was all just about like the fun and the and the gags. So I like the idea of not like kind of being pigeonholed into like a sitcom kind of scenario that we could go to a different land and a different place and a different time period each time that also appealed to me. Yeah. Um, but it was also sort of like, like at the core, I knew I wanted to have kind of a dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. And that was really what the show was about was like these three characters, uh, Tud Russell, uh, the Larry 3000 and Otto Osworth. And they were like sort of like this little dysfunctional family. And I also thought like it would be great. I always like the idea of somebody like a team that's like the worst version of, of whatever they are. So like I, I always thought of like Time Squad, like the Time Cops, you know, there were better versions. And I, I sort of showed that a little bit with uh, with you meet some other like uh, time squads as you go through the series. There's like Ted Russell's ex-wife. She's, she's a time squad officer, but like everybody else is better. Like they have a really good like history robot. They're really uh, competent. And I like them being sort of like the, the uh, you know, the, the bad news bears of, of time squad cops. So it just seemed like there, were, there was a lot of material there to work with. I, I, what I loved about this is when I was very young, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, and I don't know if you've heard, I'm pretty sure you've heard the, not, I don't want to say a comparison, but it made me feel like I was watching a, I don't want to say better in a sense because I love Jay Ward productions, but it made me feel like when I watched Time Squad, I was watching my version of Peabody and Sherman because I loved that segment of, of the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And then flash forward, you know, maybe 
not 30 years in the future for me, but, you know, 10, 15 years in the, in the future for me when I'm watching the show again uh, or watching Time Squad. And I'm like, man, this is like this is my generation's Peabody and Sherman. This is, this is I loved it because I hated school, like I told you before, Dave, um, but I loved history. I don't know why, right? Because most of the time, history is boring as shit to kids. People like science because <laughs> you get to make explosions and shit, or you get to dissect a frog. I loved gym. Uh, I cook for a living at my day job, so I loved the culinary classes I was taking. Um, but I just I didn't give a shit about anything else until I had one teacher in history. Uh, don't remember her name, uh, sadly. I'm pretty sure she was an older lady, so I'm pretty sure she's no longer here. Uh, but she would just do history fun like she would make these funny sounds like if it was somebody that was if it was british right british side of history she would drop into these cockney accents or if it was russian she would go straight to russian or if it was german she'd do a german accent so she made history fun and i was like oh shit if they did this with math or if they did this with you know science or some shit like that that's why i like bill nye I would love this. I would love to come to school, but I hated it. Um, but, you know, but it made me <laughs> it made me feel like this was my generation's Peabody and Sherman. And what I loved about it is exactly what you said. Everybody except Otto sucked at their job. And it was it was what it was like that Cartoon Network style. I mean, it was funny. It was it was weird. It was interesting. They threw in some history in there. Uh, when this show was going for you guys, are you? I love hearing standards and practices, what you guys couldn't get into the shows, because a lot of people, especially back in this day and age, they would say, oh, man, this stuff definitely went over my head. SpongeBob being one, Cow and Chicken being another one. Um, those two come to Rocco's Modern Life as another one. Uh, was there anything that you guys were trying to get in as far as coming from your writing room that possibly didn't make it in? Oh gosh, that is that's 30 years question. ago. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and just to address that, I mean, for sure, Rocky and Bullwinkle, the Sherman and Peabody was, was an influence. Uh, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. But uh, like I said, I was also like really influenced by a lot of the Warner shorts and Tex Avery and, and those things as well. I think we actually like may have like, I think you could argue that we, we, Otto's design was a little too close to Sherman uh, anyway, you know, but we definitely wanted to have like kind of a nerdy kid and it just seemed to fit some of the same tropes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And in fact, like I, I wanted to do a thing where, where at, at one point, like in the, if, if there had been a third season, I was trying to work it out where like, like uh, Tud Russell and the, and the group would run into Sherman and Peabody and like, oh, that would have been so there'd cool. There'd be like, we had one episode where like um, Dexter made like a cameo appearance. I wanted to do the same thing with Sherman and Peabody, but we never made it quite that far. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know there was stuff like that all the time, but like you said, it has been a while. So that's a lot of dead brain cells ago. Oh, that's perfectly um, fine. But going back to what you just said just a second ago, with uh, with trying to get a cameo like Peabody and Sherman into something, obviously, depending on who owns the licensing, I'm pretty sure the family of J Ward Productions or maybe his production studios back then owned it. Who right. are you? Who would you be go trying to go through back in the day? Would you just go to Cartoon Network Legal if you wanted to get somebody in there? Would you just go to Cartoon Network Legal and they would do that aspect? I've never had anybody on that I could actually ask that to. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I like I never made it that far with Sherman and Peabody. I knew that like the Simpsons had had Sherman and Peabody and all these other things. And I think they probably had a lot more clout. Yeah. So 
to be honest with you, I never got quite that far. I did do, uh, like I said, uh, the cameo with Dexter. Mm-hmm. And with that, all I had to do was go and talk to, to Gindy. Like, cause I asked them, I asked the, my executives and they're like, we don't have a problem with it. We own that outright. So I just wanted to, to ask Gindy to make sure that he wouldn't be offended by it or, and he loved the idea. So that was, that was all that took. And then there was another episode that was called, I think it was called white house of weirdness or white house of madness but like we went in and we were trying to we were doing like a scooby-doo-esque episode and we used all they they gave us access to all of the original scooby-doo tracks oh that's so cool which which i wish i still had because it was like you could hear the takes they were like all right that's good cut and they'd be like okay here we go take two and then they would you'd hear them strike up the orchestra but there was all this great talking in between each one of those uh takes and they just gave us that stuff and let us like fully use it because Hanna-Barbera owned that stuff yeah uh and that was a real fun episode for that reason um but yeah I know it's different as soon as you involve outside companies I don't really know what that takes because I never got that far no worries. Uh, do you know Van Partible, uh, creator of Johnny Bravo? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had him on a few months ago. This man walked me through. I don't know if we did it on, on TV because the Scooby-Doo episode that he did came up um, when Scooby-Doo meets Johnny Bravo or Johnny Bravo meets Scooby-Doo. Um, right. Uh, but he, he was writing a book for Cartoon Network at one time. Uh, and he had all of these interviews, like they gave him everything. Like he could just go into the archives and look and pull stuff. So if anybody has what you're looking for, as far as the Scooby-Doo tracks that, that, that you were just talking about and referencing to, it'd be Van. And Van, he, he, he literally said, quote unquote, I have everything of Cartoon Network's history because I, I, they wanted me to write this book for him. And he showed me some pages off air. And it was a beautiful book. I wish they would have put in this book to print. It was beautiful. It was so cool how he would do it. Um, but he right. did, you know, so he got to tell it was a really cool story about Bill Hanna. And he was showing him. He's like, oh, you got the walk cycles right. And then he was like, it was right after lunch. So Bill kept falling asleep. So he was telling us all these really, really cool stories. Did you ever get to meet uh, Bill or Joe? I did. I met Bill. Bill was there. So I was there when they christened uh, the Cartoon Network building. Well, I was in that first wave of, of shows that were made there. It was like um, Powerpuff was still in production. They were redoing, uh, rebooting those that second round of Dexter's Lab stuff. And Samurai Jack basically took off at the same time that we did. We both started production at the same time. I think Billy and Mandy was right in there. And then they were also doing like these shorts where they had done like that Flintstones on the rocks where they were going to take, they had plans to do a series of those where they were going to take, you know, there was one in the works for quick draw McGraw and then sort of like funding kind of like dropped through around that time too, after that first year. But anyway, we were there and uh, Bill came over. No, it was Joe. It was Joe. Joe came over and uh, smashed a uh, champagne bottle on the, the front column of the studio. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty neat. That's not what I thought you were going to say as far as. <laughs> I, heard, did 
Well, I've heard some stories about uh, old Bill and Joe, and it's nothing. It's nothing bad, but uh, you know Robert Alvarez. I'm gonna assume you do Robert Alvarez. I do know Robert? Al- I've worked with Robert before. Yeah, so that man is a national treasure. Him, Linda Szymanski, both national treasures. Robert has told me some of the greatest stories I have ever heard. Some on air, some off air. I can't repeat, but the one on air that I can repeat that I absolutely love telling uh, is when him and his buddy Tim would go down to the Hanna Barbera lots and stuff. They'd ride their bikes down, and this is back before anybody had the foresight at Hanna-Barbera or Cartoon Network. The only people that did this was Disney. They would save everything. Um, right. You know, they would just throw shit away because they needed space. They didn't think anybody would want it anyways, but at the end of the day, they space is a commodity. So yeah. Robert and uh, Tim would go in there and they would put their hands into the in, into the dumpster and pull out cells, storyboards, productions, Bible, anything that they could get, and they would take it home. Amazing. And, uh, this is the first Bill and Joe story I ever heard on the podcast. And he was like, we did it so much that one day that we came back, there was a chain wrapped around the dumpster. And I was like, well, what'd you do? And he was like, well, we went back and got my dad. My dad lifted it up so I could get my little arm in there. And Tim, we we took everything. And I was like, what happened next? He's like, well, we came back, you know, a couple of days later, it was a week later, something like that. And he was like, we're riding up on our bike. And he was like, old Joe was out there. He was waiting for us. And I can't remember if he said, if he had a, a golf club or a tire iron, but they chased him. Uh, Joe chased him off the lot, him and Tim off <laughs> chasing, get the hell out of here. He, and he was like, many years later, I asked Joe about that story. He was like, yeah, I just didn't want you kids getting kids getting hurt. And he's like, I don't think that's what he really wanted. He just wanted to chase us off with a tire iron. Um, but uh, going back to, to Tex Avery for just a second. This had to be before he was working in the industry, right? Like this was back oh, when he was like, like a kid. Yes. This is him as a little kid, him and Tim okay. and kids and stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, so it, it's it's it, Robert is one of my favorite people I've ever. Anytime I've got a question, whether it's technical, whether it's just speculation, whether it's anything, he's generally the first person I go to because I can expect two things. Well, I put up two things and I've only put up one finger. I can expect two things. I can expect a a great answer and an in depth in depth answer. The man is so knowledgeable. Uh, and two, he's not going to sit there and bullshit me. He's going to tell me exactly how it is. And he's not going to sugarcoat shit. And I absolutely love it. Cause just fluffing all that stuff up at waste time. He's yeah. Got greatest stories about people. He doesn't like they're phenomenal. Uh, but nonetheless, man, I digress. Um, you brought up a name that I haven't heard too many people reference, but I know a lot of people absolutely love him. And Tex Avery is that guy. Um, now with this, with this podcast, we typically, and by we, it means me because my brain's all weird. Uh, we jump from place to place because you guys have had such a vast career. Um, and a lot of the times I can't ask you super, super technical questions about a show that you did 30 years ago because it's, I can't remember what I did six months ago, let alone, hey man, remember that one episode of that one short that you've done I don't know, 400 times 30 years ago? No, I don't, man. So I try to stay away from that type of shit. However, Tex Avery is, is, is one of those guys that has not come up very often. And I'm surprised really. Um, but a Tex Avery, and I guess we're going to jump around, but Cuphead, right? I'm watching Cuphead and the King uh-huh. pops in, right? Him in that purple, I don't know what it was. But he looked sharp as hell, right? King dice, purple suit, right? Coming in. He had a very Tex Avery. I don't know if it's just me talking out of turn because I'm not a professional. I don't have all this shit written down in my head, but he just seemed that's what it felt like. It felt like a Tex Avery-esque character. Was that am I out of turn talking that way? Or I mean, is that kind of the inspiration too? No, I mean, I wouldn't say you're out of turn at all. And like a show like that for sure. Um, again, we it draws from many, many influences, but that that it that uh that 
show in particular were really, um, you know, the Maldenhauers are the ones that created the games, the brothers Maldenhauer, Chad and Jared. And um, that thing was really a giant homage to the cartoons of the 30s, like the early Mickey Mouse, particularly the Fleischers, um, like Ub Iwerks, who was like Disney's partner when he started. And then he sort of split off and became his own uh, studio and made uh, Flip the Frog, um, Willy Whopper, like all these other obscure cartoons now. But like they were big, they were big then. Um, so those were our primary influences. Um, and, the, and the Fleischers in particular did a lot of like musical stuff like everything like bouncing to rhythms and they they would also like rotoscope uh like like um jazz players of that time so king dice is really mostly a callback to to that stuff um but i know what you mean it does feel a little bit like i could see like there's like the tex harry wolf is very like sharp dressed and like tuxedo and like carries himself in a real confident way but uh and i think there's definitely some of that probably trickled in but it, it's primarily meant to be an homage to the stuff that happened in the 30s what i loved i didn't know and i'm gonna regret saying this because anytime i say i don't know something that came before this tv show people get very upset so don't take it personally ladies and gentlemen i didn't know what cuphead was i've been out of the game when it comes to video games when it comes to like I mean, I'll watch television still, I'll watch cartoons, but a lot of the times I go back and watch the stuff that I grew up on. I've got a 12-year-old and I've got a 10-month-old. Um, so I'm showing the 12-year-old everything I grew up with, right? So he'll, he'll consistently ask me like, hey, who do you have on? Uh, who do you have coming on the podcast? And I'll tell him, he's like, oh, what did he or she do? And I'll tell him, he's like, oh, we watched that. And I was like, yeah, you want to go watch that? And he's like, not, not really. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. And I'm like, all right, cool. He's in, <laughs> in that stage where <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure you've been in the industry, you've noticed this. And I, I talked about this with Linda uh, uh, last weekend. Um, but it's just, it's animation is kind of flipped, right? With these kids these days, I sound old as shit when I say that, but it's flipped, right? It's more anime than it is our style animation here. And it's crazy seeing it. And there's nothing wrong with animation. Right. I, love anime. I love anime, excuse me. Right. Uh, it's just crazy to see like what I was into 20 years ago, right? I figured that'd be, I don't want to say the, 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 no, that's not the right way. I, I figured just it would be a continuation into this generation. But seeing how anime has really got a grip on some of these younger kids, like I talked to my kid, and I'm like, "What do you guys watch? Like, what do your friends watch in school?" He's like, "Oh, we watch anime." I was like, "What do you? What else you watch?" He's like, "Anime." And I was like, "Is that it?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's all anybody talks about at school. Is it's wild, right?" Yeah. What is, what is it like on you guys' side seeing just a huge influx? I mean, we've had Miyazaki, we've had so many of these big anime. Uh, personnel animators excuse me um but what's it been like for you specifically i mean i'm assuming you're seeing that influence as well yeah big time big time i mean i think maybe that's where the generation gap is coming in and you know what i have a 13 year old and an 11 year old too mm -hmm. and th yeah they're into anime as well yeah and like for me my my, my major influence was like all of the american cartoons mm -hmm. So like, you know, I grew up with like, uh, like all the Warner Brothers stuff, Tex Avery, all of the Disney stuff from like the 50s and the 40s, the 50s, and a little bit into the 60s. So that was, that's always been like my wheelhouse and my major uh, influence. 
um, you know, I see what's happening. And I was like, you know, uh, you know, it's great to see that that other there are other voices and other influences and people are really enjoying that. But it, still, the stuff I like the most are cartoons. Yeah. So, you know, even more than feature animation, I was always like cartoons. That was like my major my major influence and major love. Um, so, I mean, that's what's been kind of fun about doing like the Mickey shorts and then also doing uh, Cuphead, because I, I felt like also with like all the influence of, of anime, a lot of these series don't really do like jokes. Yeah. It's kind of like more like a day in the life and like it kind of like explores emotions and more complex, complex, like kind of emo relationships and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's not what I love. Yeah. I'm like, I'm glad that the medium is big enough for everybody to sort of do their thing. Um, but like, it's been fun to be able to do the stuff that that uh, that I really love. And it feels like there's less and less of and see it really connect with an audience because I've always felt like that stuff is kind of evergreen and people will love it. If you make it, people will come. Yeah. So it's been great to see this stuff actually work on a, on a broad scale. Yeah, it really has. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of jump over so we can kind of get a little bit of each fandom. Cause there was a bunch of people that wrote in between time squad, the Mickey shorts, uh, you know, cuphead for sure. And a few other things in between um, yeah. But speaking on cuphead, excuse me, speaking on cuphead for just a few, I, like I said, I did not know this was a game I've been out for quite some time when it came to, everything so my introduction to cuphead was the show that that you brought you know to netflix and you brought to all of us i gotta say i absolutely loved this show man it was so fun and then it was what i do with this podcast it's a love letter to what you guys have given me uh like so many of you guys and gals that have worked in this industry um gave me a childhood that was fun right a childhood that that made me imagine because there's so many kids these days that are forced to grow up a lot sooner than they should because of just extenuating circumstances whatever's going on in life you know whether it's you know not a lot of money in the household you know so they've they've really got to stretch a budget or you know some people could be overwhelming and overbearing when it comes to parenting so a lot of people like i said just don't have a childhood right so you guys gave me a great childhood. My, I mean, my mom gave me a great childhood too. So mom, I know she's a listener. Don't think that, that I'm, I'm leaving you out of here, but you guys gave me something fun to talk about with my friends. Um, you know, and, and seeing that with this show, uh, the podcast and specifically, this is my love letter to you guys and giving you guys your thanks and your roses while you're still here. Uh, Cause there's so many of you guys that are gone that I won't be able to think personally. So when I do this show, it's a love letter. And when I watched Cuphead, I saw it was a love letter to what, you grew up on what influenced you and i got to imagine with 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 where you're coming from as far as like the 30s what you're saying was what the show was for and then the warner brothers and the disney stuff that you grew up on was there a specific when you set out to do this show was there a like a one two three type of type of episode or type of vibe or a written direction that you had to have in this first set of the cuphead cartoons I love the graveyard scene. I love the, the devil was phenomenal. Such a great villain. Um, but I love the skeleton dance, the throwback or the nod to the skeleton dance. But were there a couple things that you had to have in this first run of Cuphead cartoons? Meaning like rules that we made up for ourselves or rules that we were handed by 
by uh, Chad and Jared, like the creators of the video game? No, not so much rules, but obviously. So if I go and I pick a couple episodes that inspire me, right? Yeah. I wanted, I want to do my version of the skeleton dancer. I want to do my version of something scary. So that in a sense, like all the cartoons that you grew up on, was there one or two that you wanted to pick from to put in there? Oh uh, yeah. That's a great question. I understand what you're asking now. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned uh, ghost ain't real. Cause when I was, you know, there were a bunch of us that auditioned to do cuphead. Like they kind of went through all the showrunners, TV showrunners, um, and a lot of people kind of auditioned for that for that job. And that meant like meeting meeting with the executives at Netflix, meeting with the executives at King Feature, uh, who who licensed Cuphead from the Moldenhowers, and then meeting with the Moldenhowers too. So, you know, we all kind of did drawings and like I did like a few drawings of potential episodes mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and just captured some images from like like great 1930s shorts that I I loved and everything. The first thing I drew was Cuphead and Mugman like like cowering together in a in a cemetery like surrounded by ghosts and skeletons and yeah, for me that was the first thing that came to mind because uh that the spooky cartoon was like one of the one of the early tropes mm-hmm. in 1930s cartoons. There was a skeleton dance there were, I'm going to forget the names of these cartoons, like Ub Idworks did like a, did like an amazing one. Um, it was Swing You Sinners. That's another one. Um, and Disney did another one where it's like Pluto gets kidnapped by a mad scientist and Mickey's walking around inside like a, a haunted castle. And there's all this play with these, these uh, animated skeletons. So it was just like, if I'm going to do a show about the 1930s, it's gotta have a spooky cartoon in it. Like that's just, that was a given. So, I mean, one of our other rules is like, I mean, when we cast, we really tried to think about uh, kind of the tropes, like the way people talked in the 1930s, the, the, the character types that existed, sort of the fast talking wise guy. Uh, that was like, that influenced both Cuphead and Chalice. Um, there's all this great stuff when it comes to the devil. There's all this great, like, sort of um, hell imagery mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, whatever character Pluto goes to hell in one of them. And it's like he's, he's, he's on trial for being cruel to these kittens. And it's all that great, like, cavernous stuff with big stalactites and, like, caverns with fire burning and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's real fire and brimstone kind of, kind of look. So we heavily researched all of that stuff. I mean, we're, we're all like really fans. That was, that was another challenge for like sort of crewing up with this. We really had to find people that love that era of animation. And once we did, they already come with like a pretty big vocabulary of, of what those cartoons were and what it was they loved about those cartoons. But like you said, it meant that like, you know, some younger people that maybe loved anime weren't the right fit because we were really trying to be pure to that era. And we, we also really tried to keep it like we wanted to make cartoons where it felt like something you could actually have made in the 1930s. So it sort of took place in the 1930s. In other words, like they, they listen to radio, like they don't have TV or anything. They listen to radio programs and 
the music that we did for the show, we tried to keep really like the the jazz of the 1930s. So it would have been the type of music, um, you know, that you'd be listening to back then. So those were some of the rules um, that we sort of set for ourselves to kind of like, we kind of tried to define the perimeter of our sandbox that we were going to play in. So an, another thing that I absolutely loved about this was the art direction, the art style. Now, <clears throat> I don't know lingo. I know a few of the programs you guys use as far as uh, like Harmony Flash and a couple of things like that. Uh, what was this one done on? This was done in Photoshop, believe it or not. Holy shit. I got to imagine. Like I, I, I try to go and listen to a lot of the episodes you guys do as far as interviews and shit like that. Uh, just so I try not to ask the same questions, but most of the time it's very difficult not to ask some of the same questions. Yeah. Um, but one thing I, I kept hearing from a couple of the different, uh, the artists yourself, um, some of the executives that would talk about it was just like how, how hard it was to, to do this, this style of show. It looked like it was hand-drawn. It looked like it was old school animation cells. I loved it. Right. It felt, how do I put this without sounding like a dick? Um, <laughs> do you know how you could go back and watch Top Cat specifically? You remember Top Cat? Yeah. You know how you could watch Top Cat and you can see in some of the scenes, if they were a little too rough with the cell, you could see like the underlying sketch. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like the construction drawing and stuff yes. like that in there. Yeah, yes. for sure. That's what it felt like watching this. And I'm not saying I could go out there and see anything wrong with Cuphead, but it felt like it felt like it was done with pencil and paper, right? It felt like it was done by hand by doing it digitally. Uh, it's just my stupid way of looking. Like it, it made me feel like I was watching something from the third, like you were just talking about. You said it so much more eloquently, Dave, than I could. I butchered it. I made it sound very dumb, but you guys did good. Getting that, Dave. <laughs> well, thanks. That's a huge compliment. That is, that is what we were going for, for sure. And even though we were using like these more modern programs, we really wanted it to feel like it was hand-drawn. We did a technique where we even did like, uh, a little drop shadow next to the cell because often when they would light these things, they would put it on a down shooter and put a plate of glass like over the cell that would smash the cell down onto the background. And then they would light it with these lights, but sometimes the lighting would be a little uneven and the cell itself would ca cast this very fine, subtle shadow. So we did things like that where we put it in. We also included like, like subtle scratches. We didn't go super heavy handed with the scratches, but we have like, uh, we added cell grain. We added like little scratches. And, uh, you know, when we were, when we were thinking about the look of, of the show, we, we definitely were, like I said, we did a lot of research and we were watching a lot of like, like Dilly's, Disney's uh, Silly Symphonies. Mm -hmm and a lot of Fleischer stuff. And we were really studying the techniques that they used. Uh, and our art director, you know, so Cosmo and I, who's uh, the co-executive producer, my co-executive producer, um, you know, we, we had examples of what we wanted it to look like, but this was, you have to remember this, these paintings were also done like in the golden age of animation. And like those guys had chops and they also had more time than we had in a TV schedule. So when we, we approached Andrea Fernandez, who's our, who's our um, art director, 
she was looking at this stuff and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I totally, yeah, we, we, we can recreate this. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we can do it. Uh, she later admitted she was completely bluffing. Uh, <laughs> you can see you make it. I love it, Dave. Yeah. When somebody asks you if you can do something, you always say yes. And then you figure it out. That's right. That's right. I've done it myself. So it's like, you're pretty sure you can do it, but you don't really know. So yeah, it was sort of the same thing. She felt like, yeah. And then we, uh, she just started working with, uh, with, um, with one of her painters and like looking at the reference. And I remember he painted one background that, um, that had this, this beautiful tree. And it looked all watercolor and it was like, oh my God, I think we might actually pull this off. But then the other thing that Andrea was like, okay, great. We did it one time. We're going to have to do this hundreds of times per episode. So at first it was like, just can you do it? And then it was like, how do we do this in an assembly line process? And so a lot of her early sort of thinking about this was how to... Uh, you know, do it in a way that it could be done. It could be reproduced in an efficient enough way that we could make a series out of it. And I do think that was one of the major accomplishments of the show was actually, and we found phenomenal paint talent, like people that had actually been trained uh, in watercolor, real watercolor techniques. Mm -hmm. So they were familiar with like, you know, how, how paint bleeds on, watercolor paper and all that kind of stuff. So that's the other thing, like we're always trying to explain like, yeah, we use Photoshop, but that doesn't mean you don't need an artist that is kind of a master of understanding watercolor technique. Yeah. So we were really lucky. I mean, the stars kind of lined up for us because we, the crew on this show is phenomenal. And we, we really found some just amazing artists that were able to like, cause it wasn't, you know, it, I think it took a team. I think we had about six background painters working on this stuff. And every time I'd be, I'd ask Andrea, I'm like, who painted that one? And it would always be another name. It wasn't like, Oh, we got one guy. That's the, 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 the amazing guy and everybody else is kind of a and C team or B and C team. They re they all really kicked ass. Yeah, that's so. Really, uh, I got to imagine she was stressed as hell. I mean, it's. It, <laughs> yeah, I would I, say I would say she's still stressed as hell. We're still <laughs> making it, so. <laughs> yeah, I, we've all been pretty stressed as hell. Like this 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 uh, experience has been has been a, a a wild ride to say the least. So. First off, I'm going to give you a compliment here. Uh, you have an amazing beard. I actually have a bigger beard than I did. Uh, however, I'm shaving on Thursday, I think it was, and cutting everything down, trimming everything up, looking great. And I have my cell phone sitting right on my shelf, and then I'm listening to a podcast. Um, so I see a text message come up from my, my sous chef at work. He's like, hey, did you get such and such done? And I go, fuck. And when I went, fuck. I shaved everything down and I'm like, Oh no, no, God, why, why? I, I had this horrible chin. I go like this. I've got four of them. I look like, and then I, I, my wife walks in the room and she's carrying a baby and she's like, well, that's a look. 
And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she was like, did you mess up? And I was like, yeah, I was like, Josie texted me. And then I just, I happened to look over and then I got pissed because I said I was going to do it. And then I forgot about it because everything else was coming in. 14 things were going on. It felt like everything was on fire. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm leaving for the day. I was like, I thought I had everything done. And here we are. I've got a fucked up mustache and everything's down on my beard. So I had to trim everything down. This is like the first time I've been this, this short. I got out of the military in 2016. So I haven't shaved, shaved uh, since at least April of 2016. The beginning wow. of 2016. That's a good run for a beard. Yeah. I mean, yours is, yours is majestic, man. You, you're very distinguished. <laughs> Um, but the only reason I bring up your beard is how much gray did you have in it before Cuphead and how much did you, can you attribute it to Cuphead? Cause you guys oh say my God. <laughs> that is, that is a hilarious and legitimate question. <laughs> yeah. I've said like, I feel like I've aged like a president on this. Uh... Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm actually 24 years old. So this is all, <laughs> this is all new. It was all it was all black and shiny. Uh, no, I, it was salt and pepper, but it's definitely gotten more salt and pepper these days. Man, see that, that's that's what that's what sucks about being a redheaded dude, man. You guys could pull off the salt and pepper. I've got ketchup and mayo on my face, bro. I, it looks like shit, right? <laughs> I've got so much like when I shade, like I knew I had white in my beard. It's pretty, it's pretty white. Most sideburns are crazy white. Yeah. Oh. All of my family goes white before the 40s, and I'll be 33 this year, so I'm, I'm pretty close, pretty close to going white as it is. But uh, when I shaved it all down, I was like, "Fuck, dude!" I thought it was only like maybe like 10, maybe 10 percent of my hair was white. And I'm looking, and I'm like, "All of this shit is going to come back white." I don't think any of this is going to come back red. But hopefully, I could pull it off. I don't mind looking like Santa Claus, you know? Um, yeah, you'll probably be fine. I, I'm from Arkansas. I have this cousin that used to say, "He's like, it can turn white as long as it don't turn loose." <laughs> So, you know, that's all right. People look great with white hair. Yeah, man. It's, it's definitely coming back in vogue. All these I, I've seen, I've seen, especially the last couple of weeks uh, being in Florida, it's hot as fuck all the time, but especially now, like all of, all of the ladies are really starting to come out and get their hair done men too, but I've seen it. I've seen it done white and more women than I have in men. Uh, but like white is for sure coming in for a color. I'm like, dude, for so long, people were afraid of white hair. They're coming right. in just for men or, you know, whatever the female equivalent to just for men is, um, right. just dying all my mom has been dying her hair for like, sorry, mom. Uh, my mom has been dying her, <laughs> dying her hair for at least 40 fucking years. Every time she gets a white, she's got to dye it. I love you, mom. Um, but nonetheless, man, <laughs> Stick, sticking on Cuphead show uh, for just a little bit, but Cuphead, did you guys have like a motto that you guys would have? Like you see here so many shows that they have mottos, uh, you know, so they can always get back to, you know, it puts their mind back into focus on what they're trying to achieve. Did you guys have a motto or a tagline or anything like that while working on the show? Almost like a working title, but like a motto you guys would really go to like get back to the art or some shit like that. Right, man. I think now I'm feeling like all these years I should have had a motto. I don't know if I ever had a motto. I'm like, is that how they do it? Nobody told me about the motto thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think for us, like, we, we always wanted it to be character driven. Again, it's not really a motto. It was just more of like a working philosophy that yeah. we never even really formalized into anything 
that sounds kind of pithy when you quote it, yeah. but it's yeah. like, we wanted it to be really funny. We wanted it to be as funny as it could. We wanted it to look of that period. And, uh, you know, we wanted it to be really character driven. We really wanted it to be, that was sort of the great assignment is like, you know, the Moldenhauers had created this, this beautiful world mm-hmm. with, with all these great like characters, uh, like, like sort of uh, physical characters, but none of them had any personality. So it was like, kind of like getting, getting that property and having to reverse engineer like we almost thought of it as like, well, this then maybe this was what it's like. We wanted to make the show that the game would have been based on. Yeah. Even though it was like it was in the reverse order. We're like, we're going to go back and make the show that the game was based on. And so, yeah, that was our motto. <laughs> you, guys, you guys got any uh, room in that Netflix budget for a motto guy? I can put in a resume real quick. I can. Yeah, we need a motto guy, apparently. <laughs> so as we start to transition here man uh we, we're, i would before we get to the fans questions i would be remiss not to ask you about the mickey shorts now i've like i said i've been out of the game as far as like new new stuff i mean i, I dip my toes into it as much as i can but having a 10 month old i forgot like how much time a baby really needs right and then to mention oh boy i used to have four dogs have three dogs now sadly uh i used to have four dogs but you know trying to find time for something new like i had to like binge cuphead whenever people were sleeping i was always like hey we're gonna go to bed i'm like all right well i'm gonna stay up for a little while and she's like it's like uh midnight already i'm like yeah i'll be all right she's like you have to be up at four i'm like ah i'll be all right i've <laughs> I've, I've done i've done this no sleep thing for the military for quite some time drink some coffee, get angry. You can get through almost anything with caffeine and anger. Uh, you'll be, I'll that be is the truth. Those are two important tools in animation as well, for sure. Well, funny thing. I wanted to be an animator when I was younger. I found out real, I, I wish I could go back in time and really give it a shot. Um, but I've, I've told the story, so I'll make this one quick. Uh, yeah. I was, I grew up in Orlando. So my dad took me to universal studios, me and my younger brother, and they were starting to roll out SpongeBob, right? So we were, we were given the tour as we're coming through the gate, they're handing out tickets like, Hey, we're going to do this demonstration for this cartoon. We're getting ready to roll out. Uh, I'm probably, I don't even think I'm close to 10 yet, maybe eight, nine, 10, somewhere around that, in that area. Um, and it was still before they transitioned everything over to the Los Angeles studios. A lot of the stuff was still being done over in Orlando studios with a very small skeleton crew. So we're up there doing the tour and I'm, I'm watching and I'm just balls deep into drawing. I could draw, like I could see a picture, no problem. Draw It's very hard creating new characters. It was just weird. Right. I just, I guess, it's something you kind of grow into you learn to do it once you've done it so much and you've been to school or you've you know had some teachers or read some books and shit like that uh let me write that down um <laughs> so um but um because i had a great question later um but uh i'm seeing this guy he's a lone, a lone artist up there and he's drawing and shit and he keeps tearing it down and then balling it up and throwing it over his shoulder I'm like, man, that picture was really, really good. Why? And like I said, I can't conceptualize this at a young age. So I go and I ask the lady that's given us the tour. And I'm like, hey, miss, why is uh, why does he keep tearing that down and throwing it away? And she's like, oh, well, if it's not the way it's supposed to be by, you know, them drawing it on model and everything like that, he has to start over. And I'm like, 
oh, fuck, I'm not going to do this because I like saving all of my drawings. All of my drawings are really, really cool. <laughs> so I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this. And then Emerald Live came into the picture and I was like, holy shit, man, I got to cook, man. I love doing this stuff. Um, so I, I wish I could go back. I wish Time Squad would kidnap me and take me back for 25 years. <laughs> I would never join the Navy and I would go into animation, right? But wouldn't need to hear nor there. Uh, but I would be remiss, like I said, not to ask you about the Mickey shorts. Now, I've seen a lot of these Mickey shorts on, on what you posted and then seeing whatever I can see on, on, on Disney and everything like that. I got to say, these are fun, man. Real, 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 real fun. Uh, one of my favorite ones, the one you shared a couple of days ago, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember. But uh, fucking Mickey slipping on the banana peel and smacking his face and everything like that with, you know, uh, in the kitchen. One thing I had to ask about these. I don't know how to word this, so don't take this the wrong way. Uh, with them with it making Mickey look not like a superhero Mickey. Did you ever have any kickback on certain? Do you, do you have rules for Mickey? Is I guess is a better question. Do you have rules for Mickey? Like he can't do this, he can't do that. I'm pretty sure they got some things, but you know, for this round of Mickey, the 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 biggest they wanted to bring Mickey back, and they really wanted Mickey to be funny. And Usually you hear that kind of thing and then you start on it and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They pull you back, pull you back. So I was really skeptical. Like usually I'm like reboots don't turn out that great. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be another iteration of Mickey. That's just going to kind of end up being bland or whatever. I didn't have a lot of faith in it. And then when I saw the two shorts that Paul had done, I was like, wow, these are awesome. Uh, and then from that, they, they wanted to make the series and, uh, yeah, I mean, they were really serious at that time. John Lasseter was still at Disney mm -hmm. as like the, the creative head and he was, you know, Mickey, I think was important enough that like, normally he kind of lived in sort of the feature world, yeah. but like these Mickey shirts were meant enough to him that he sort of got involved early on and he was really adamant like the sort of the head of the Disney channel was like well we're going to make these for kids and John was like no these are going to be family entertainment true family entertainment so in the way that the Pixar uh, features are like they're supposed to be for everybody yeah. so we want humor and stories that that work for work for kids, but also work for all the parents that are watching it with their kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think he was like the 900 pound gorilla at the right time yeah. that helped stick up for all the right stuff. And then they really let us do it. So uh, that was another one where I'm like, God, this is definitely a once in a lifetime kind of project. Um, so. Uh, I forget if there was a second half to that question or, or if I even answered the question, but that was sort of like how that came to be and how they got to be the funny, funny shorts that they were. And I mean, for me, I just wanted to try to always make them the funniest cartoons that I could make. And honestly, up to that time, that that show was probably uh, the most satisfying thing I ever worked on. Even more so than having my own show, because we were really, they were, you know, they're like three and a half minutes long. And each director board artist was kind of responsible for his own episode. So it's not like you're running an entire season of a show. 
So I could really like I boarded everything. I would uh, do the animatic. And of course, I would show it to Paul and stuff. But he was also really the kind of producer where if you were seasoned, he really was fine with you doing it. So like we kind of got to produce these things and make them pretty much like they felt very personal where we could do them. And, I, you know, each director I was I was responsible, I think, for like like five shorts per season, yeah. which is a small enough amount of content that you can really craft these things. So I felt like we were making like these little Fabergé eggs in a weird way, like, like comedy Fabergé eggs, you know? So it was, it was really, they were really satisfying. They were really fun. At any point in time while you're doing, you're drawing Mickey Mouse, man, it's the fun, it's Mickey Mouse. I can't say it, it's Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. Batman, Superman, Coca-Cola. What do all four of those things have in common? Recognition. You can go anywhere. I've been to multiple countries. I've been all around this world, Dave. I have seen, I don't want to say I've seen everything because I'm still surprised at some of the shit I see here in Florida. <laughs> but I've seen some shit is what I'm getting at, Dave. And I've seen Mickey Mouse in the Middle East. I've seen Mickey Mouse in Southeast Asia. I've seen Mickey, I've seen Mickey Mouse everywhere. It's gotta, it's gotta be crazy. So when you sit back and you look at, at everything you've done and you're drawing fucking Mickey Mouse, man, do you have to pinch yourself? Do you have to have somebody like, Hey man, come in here, knock to make sure I'm actually, this isn't a dream. I mean, imposter syndrome comes, comes up a lot during this, 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 this show I do. What was it like putting a pencil to a paper drawing Mickey for the first time for these shorts for you specifically, what did it feel like? What'd you feel? Right. You know, I was, I was invited to freelance an episode on season one. I was, I was like kind of on an overall deal, which meant I was kind of helping out on, on multiple projects. And then I was invited to come do uh, one of the shorts and it was like, I was, man, I, it was sort of like, you know, at that time they were having some trouble too, because like they would pitch certain shorts and they would even get as far as boarding them. And sometimes the, uh, the president of the Disney channel wouldn't really get it. Like, to be honest, he wasn't like a real cartoon guy. He didn't love cartoons, which is kind of like wild to think about, but they just wasn't his forte. And uh, they'd had some problem getting things approved. And then they had that idea. It was the first one I did was um, staying cool, where it's like the hottest day of summer. And they're just like a series of gags of them, like trying to find ways to get cool. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I'd, like I said, I'd seen what Paul was doing. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I love it. I get it. That's so awesome. Um, and I, I heard the premise of that cartoon and it was, it was actually the first cartoon where all three of them were like buddies. Mm -hmm. uh, they'd done one other one where, where uh, it was Mickey and Donald were, were buddies. And then Goofy was sort of cast as a chef that didn't really know them or a fry cook. Mm -hmm. But this was the first time it was going to be like buddies. And I'm like, this is just like three stooges. Like, this is like, I felt like I just sort of instantly knew what to do with it. Um, and so I don't know if I ever like, I don't know if I ever did that like pinch me thing. I was just so excited. Like, 
we get to make cartoons. We get to make real cartoons. And this is a great premise for a cartoon. And I was just really excited. And also, like, it's really fun to work with characters that are already so well-defined mm -hmm. that, you know, with Cuphead, we were kind of inventing that stuff because we didn't know what their personalities were yet. But with Mickey, Don Mickey Donald and Goofy, there's already been so much... Uh, you know, development and work on these characters that like, you can just think of a scenario and you go, oh, you'd know exactly how Donald would act in that situation. Yeah. He would get pissed off. Goofy wouldn't understand it. You know, it's just, you just instantly know what to do. So that was what was really super fun about, about those cartoons. But it was, I mean, yeah, I think there were those moments where it's like, yeah, I can't believe this is really, this is really happening. And I think we, we, we understood that this was really special. Like this was like, like, yeah, like getting hit by lightning, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> if that was going to be a really fun experience. That I, I got to imagine, man, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. Oh God, I'm uh, 55 years young. Can you imagine you get Time Squad abducts you and you get to go back to see your little, I don't know, 10 year old self, eight year old self. And you'd be like, little Dave, you're not going to believe this. When you get this much fucking salt and pepper in your beard, you are going to fucking draw Mickey Mouse, dude, Donald, Daffy, Pluto, everybody. You're going to do this. Do you think you would be so clairvoyant as a little kid that you wouldn't kick yourself in the nuts and say stranger danger? Or would you be like, holy shit? This guy's on to something. What do I you think, think it would be stranger danger. Yeah. If I was like looking at this, I'd be like, whoa, mister, I don't know who you are, but yeah, I'm going to mace you if you don't step back. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, but I get, you, I get your point. I never would have imagined in a million years that, you know, when I was a kid watching the wonderful world of Disney, that one day I'd have any or inter, any interaction with these with these iconic characters. Or even get to do, like, I don't think I even really understood that animation was a real, like, that was a job. Yeah. These characters just kind of, like, they seem real. They were so well executed that it seemed like there's a universe somewhere where these guys are running around doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in Chuck Jones's book, <clears throat> excuse me, Chuckamuck, where he was talking about... Um, I can't remember the premise, but essentially it was talking about Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny having a writer. And then <clears throat> whoever he was talking to, his grandmother or some lady was like, well, why does he have a writer? He's just saying this stuff. So you see that delineation of people thinking these characters were real. And I can even yeah. take one step further. My profession, cooking, I didn't, like I knew people, like I went out to restaurants, I knew people cooked, but I didn't really know people cooked until I saw Emeril Lagasse on the TV fucking right. throwing spices, right? Watching right. Bobby Flay, watching Julia Childs, watching Martha Stewart, watching all of these different people. I was like, this is a profession? Like you can do this? Like it's just not people, you could do this? So it's wild and it's crazy to think that there's somebody out there that, I mean, I'm not, I'd be stupid and you're very brash of me to think that I'm the only one that thinks my way, but it's cool to hear that like, man, I didn't know this thing that I'm doing was a fucking job when I was a little kid, man. It's, it's cool to see that. And in, in, in other professions is really, really what I'm getting at, Dave. Um, yeah. 
this has been a real we're uh, rotating the fans question. This has been a real blast for me. I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. I, I never know what to expect. I say that all the time. I never know what to expect from my guests. I had a lot of fun on this one, and I hope you did too, Dave, man. So, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is very fun. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So as we, I enjoy your personality as well. You're a funny guy. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, well, uh, if you guys are hiring, like I said, motto guy, I can get you some mottos. Uh, Let me uh, see what I can do. I'll see if I can pull some strings. That's what I like to hear, man. Uh, I'll, I'll fake the shit out of it until I make it, Dave. Um, but uh, before we get to the fans questions, there are two that I like to bring up. So I pre-gamed you with a little bit of it, right? So before we get to that one, there is one more. This is the animation recommendation. Right. Who do you think out there in this world that you've worked with would have a great time on this show? We get a lot of word of mouth and a lot of people that I have are friends of friends that have come on. But who do you think would have a good time on this show that I should reach out to? Oh, my God. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm real good friends with Alex Kerwin, mm -hmm. who is sort of like the second in command on all of the Warner shorts. Mm -hmm. Alex and I go way back. He's like an, a brilliant artist and uh, he's been doing this for a while now too. He'd be, he'd be great. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Uh, a lot of people from the show, Adam Polowian, who was one of our supervising directors. Uh, Clay Morrow is really shy, but one of the funniest people I know. So I don't know if he would actually want to, he'd, he'd probably, I don't know if you could, I don't know if you could talk him into it or not, but he would be amazing if you could get him. Uh, Andrea, who was like, like I said, she's our, our art director. She was amazing. Uh, Deaky Deke, who was our head writer. I mean, pretty much you could look at our credits. Yeah. Cosmo Sagerson, who's uh, the co-EP. Dopest name uh, in animation too. What's that? Dopest name in animation. <laughs> Cosmo. Fuck yeah, man. Sign me up, dude. I don't even know. Greenlight everything Cosmo says. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, all of those guys are really funny. And uh, even Andrea, who's our art director, is really funny. Um, so, yeah, they're all they're all really entertaining people. And they're all really pa passionate and all have you know, they, they've all done lots of research and know what they love about animation. They're all fun to talk to. Beautiful. Well, I'll make yeah. sure I look into them. Uh, I think you guys got your motto already for, for part two of Cuphead, man. Fake it till you make it. You know what I mean? I, I mean, you guys Always. have already made it, but just keep faking. Right? Um, <laughs> there you go. So uh, the second part to that question, man, uh, and the one I wrote down earlier when, when I was talking about books, uh, who is on your Mount Rushmore for animators and influences. Like I said, you get four on your Mount Rushmore plus an honorable mention. Right. Oh my God. That is so tough because <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like there are literally uh, hundreds of influences, but yeah, if I, if I had to narrow it down and I'm sure as soon as I, I finish saying it, I'll regret, I'll be like, Oh, I should have said this person. <laughs> but like Tex Avery, for sure. Uh, Bob Clampett. Oh, for sure. Uh, gotta have Chuck, Chuck Jones, like all the Warner Brothers stuff. And then um, uh, Ward Kimball, mm -hmm. who was like one of Disney's nine old men, but sort of the, the weirdest, most out there 
fun guy. He did like the animated the Tea Party mm-hmm. in Alice in Wonderland and the Cheshire Cat. Like he did sort of the funniest, weirdest stuff. So his stuff was great. And I guess if I was going to give these are all like and these are all like kind of shorts animators. But the other one that I don't think gets enough credit is Jack Kenny. And he was the guy that uh, that ran the the goofy shorts. He was like, you know, all those goofy how to shorts like Jack Kenny headed up that team and was super hilarious. And he also was the director of the um, Pink Elephants on Parade and Dumbo, that like super psychedelic, surreal sequence. Beautiful. So I feel like that guy is another guy that like he wasn't one of the nine old men. He almost never gets mentioned, but like that guy was a super badass. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some more research on him because what I love about asking this question is because very rarely will somebody, like I told you before, I trip people up on that question because you're like, ah, shit, this is one of the most, it's like choosing between your favorite kid, right? Or choosing between your kids, which one is your favorite? For a lot of people, like I can't leave, I don't get here if I don't have this person. I don't get here if I don't have this person. And you hear that about 20 or 30 different times throughout the throughout the interview. So it's always fun to see who, pe- who people pull inspiration from. Out of the nine old men, Mark Davis has always been my guy. I, I absolutely love Cruella. It, it's, it's, she is one of those characters that is phenomenal. Like it's just everything about her. She's evil as shit. Um, Captain Hook's always been my favorite villain just because how snazzy he dresses. Right. And, sailor so i kind of got that 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 uh what's the word i can't think of the fucking word and we got that that thing in common i guess is what i'm getting at um yeah yeah i absolutely love those two um but uh you know gendy's always been up there for him gendy's gendy's my guy he's my he's the guy that i've i've laughed at more i've cried at more his show primal fuck was it so good man samurai jack could not have appreciated that one at 12 years old uh, just going back and rewatching that as an adult, it hits at a whole different level. Um, yeah. So the other one I had here, and then we'll get to the fans questions, but uh, books, right? If you had, cause like I said, there's a lot of people that are trying to get in the industry that listen. A lot of people that are in the industry. Right. So if you had one or two books that you said is an absolute must for anybody that's a fan of animation or somebody that's in the industry. Yeah. Books would, what, what couple books would you throw out there as far as people should check out? Oh my God. Most of them I'm, I'm staring at a bunch right now, actually, um, that are right on a bookshelf just past the camera here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, the illusion of life yes. was great. I read that over the summer of my second year at school and, uh, like the summer between my first year and second year. And I read the whole book over the summer and I still like, pull from that all the time. Like that thing is, is, is loaded with great stuff. Um, I guess it kind of depends on like what somebody wants to be. Like if they want to be a designer, then that there may be other influences. If they want to be like truly an animator, um, then I would say illusion of life or um, that Richard Williams book. Where is that? Uh, The animator survival kit. Yes. That one's like cool. that one, that one gets even more technical than the illusion of life. But uh, that is loaded with stuff, just great stuff. And I would say even if you want to be an animation director, those are those are really great because I think like 
the I think the better directors really understand the mechanics of animation because it really helps you direct. You're not just sort of talking about performance or com composition, but if you, the more knowledge you have over the mechanics of animation, the better director you can be. Um, so those are great ones. I mean, I also have like Bugs Bunny, 50 years and one gray hair. That's all folks that like goes into all these Warner Brothers, uh, all the different Warner Brothers shorts. Mm -hmm. um, God, what else? I mean, I've got like pretty much every book there ever was. <laughs> um, but those, those two, in terms of like being like great technical manuals, those are those are super helpful. But I mean, the other thing that I really did was like I studied like Warner Brothers stuff. I studied like I back then, like I had a VCR. This was like back in VHS days. But like I would go frame by frame through cartoons to like see how they did stuff. Yeah. And I learned so much doing that. Um, I don't know if there's like DVD players where you can do that kind of thing. I mean, if, if you can you find stuff, that. actually, I think you can do that on YouTube now. If you hit the arrow keys, mm -hmm. it lets you kind of step through frame by frame animation. And so I would see like a gag and be like, wow, you know, it just had so much impact or it was really quick, had a great setup and then like delivered a real punch. And then I would always like frame by frame that stuff to see like, how are they doing that? Mm -hmm. And that was that was huge for me. Yeah. So again, I know that's not exactly the question you asked, but I like, like it nonetheless, man. Yeah, yeah. It, as much as just you, you can really sort of really study like what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it was Frank and Ollie in that uh, the Illusions of Life book. It says, "Don't uh, was it don't animate uh, what they're doing. Animate what they're feeling. Animate the emotion." Right. Absolutely love it, man. Um, so there's been a lot of knowledge dropped in here, ladies and gentlemen. So it's up to you to do like Dave did. Before we get to that, a quick VHS story, man. I, I made the mistake of recording over. I recorded my cartoons when I would go to school. So when I would go to school, I would put in the VHS player or VHS tape. And then generally after 10 o'clock is when the cartoons that were played last week or the day before, that's when they would come on because you'd have all the early morning cartoons for kids at that time. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd put the VHS tape in and we had one for my mom and we had one for me and my brother and stuff. Um, I got them mixed up. <clears throat> so you remember the show Monk with Tony Shalhoub? Sure. So she had like four or five weeks or whatever it was recorded, however many it was. And I didn't realize I grabbed her tape. <laughs> so she still brings this up at least once a year <laughs> whenever we talk about monk but i just happened to put in the tape so i could record all the cartoons that were on and i'm i'm watching and i'm coming to the end and then it starts playing monk and i'm like oh shit i am going to get <laughs> <laughs> i love monk man. it's such a great show yeah that's funny well you could say at least you didn't like record over a wedding tape or something like that it could have been way worse <laughs> No, no, I'm I'm pretty sure she would have actually enjoyed if I recorded over the wedding tape. Um, <laughs> so we got some great fans questions here. Um, hey, can I ask you a question real quick? If I turn on my air conditioning, do you, can you hear this? Not even if I could. Don't worry about it, man. I'd rather you be comfortable. I can't hear anything. Okay, I notice I'm getting kind of pink. <laughs> so getting hot and bothered, huh? <laughs> getting a little, yeah, it's getting a little toasty here. <laughs> So uh, fans questions here, man. So if I apologize, if I mispronounce your name, I apologize. But uh, 
Pitor, Pitor writes in, and he, uh, I think he's in the Netherlands or Holland. I can't remember which one. There's a lot of fans over in the UK that I, I love when they write in. Uh, just seeing how far this thing, I can imagine the same thing. Seeing where people watch your show specifically, I, I can imagine it's pretty cool. It's just not in the States, all over the place. So it's fascinating. Um, Peter wants to know, what was it like working on the Time Squad? We talked a little bit about that. But are you satisfied with the two seasons you made? Um, we talked about some plans and ideas you had down the road if you would have gotten to it. Um, but are you satisfied with the two seasons or would you like to revisit it? Oh, man. You know, that's a that's a great question. Um, at the time, I was bummed that it only went two seasons. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd even hit a point where, you know, it looked like we were going to get a third season pickup. Um, we'd already written premises for, for a third season. So uh, it was a real bummer when we found out we weren't, we weren't going forward at the time. Yeah. Um, the thought of going back, though, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm like, I'm looking forward and like, I think I'm more interested in continuing to go forward than go back and, and, and dive back into something. Um, But that said, never say never. I mean, I still do love that show and I love the characters on it and I loved where we were going to go with it. So yeah, that's a convoluted answer of saying who the hell knows. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) To Dave is what he's doing. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Uh, Oh, this is a fun one. Jordan Vasquez wants to work, wants to know what are some special memories that you have from the recording sessions of Time Squad? Wow, um, that oh my gosh, that cast was fantastic. Um, like you said, it was it was Rob, Pamela, uh, Mark, man, and Luke's Mark Hamill. Yeah, and I mean, Mark was so fun and so like willing to try anything he would get so silly and like he was up for anything i was like i don't know uh i don't even know honestly if mark was my first choice because i was like i don't know i don't want to like i honestly was like i don't know if i want that whole luke skywalker baggage like i just didn't know what he would be like that's the joke it's the joke right right exactly and and then he came in and he just ultimately was the best choice and I'm like, okay, cool. But that crew was was so tight. Like those three guys, those three individuals, not guys. Pamela was obviously a woman. Uh, and, but they were really fun. They bounced off of each other. They riffed. They would joke around in between. They were just really fun mm-hmm. to spend time with. Um, and I'm trying to think, like. I had a few, like, there was a guy named Bernard Fox that had been, like, a, a character actor that was on Bewitched. Mm-hmm. Like, I had him come in and do uh, do a voice on something, and that was kind of a thrill to meet somebody that, like, again, it's like that thing where it's like you you grow up watching somebody, and now it's like you're actually meeting them. I mean, I definitely had that with Mark, for sure. I'm sure everybody that's, like... You talk about like meeting your your ten year old self and going like, do you see you see Luke Skywalker? You're gonna work with that guy one day. It would just be like 
Stranger danger. Mind. <laughs> yeah. And I think the fact that, you know, these guys were all like super talented, but also super nice and really fun and up for trying anything that, that, that made it so fun. Yeah. That's cool, man. Thanks for sharing that one. Uh, four underscore thousand underscore one wants to know, have you beaten the game? <laughs> no way. No <laughs> way. Somebody asked me, like we did sort of the press junket and somebody was like, do you have any tips for the game? And I'm like, yeah, I got a tip for you. You can watch it all on YouTube and you never have to play the damn game. Because <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not good at the game. And actually, funny, funnily enough, I saw a video where Chad and Jared were promoting their own game and they're trying to play each other and they're having a really hard time. And they're like, we kind of made this game too hard. And I was like, okay, good. If you two guys as the creators can't, can't beat the game, I don't feel bad. No, that's great, man. Oh. Uh, the, the underscore meme underscore lady underscore 69 giggity, uh, which has been the hardest. <laughs> nice name. Good name. Oh, great name. Uh, which <laughs> made me blush, which has been the hardest project, uh, you have ever worked on and why? You know, I always think that the one that I'm on currently is the hardest project yeah. I've ever done. <laughs> like they're all really challenging. I will say like animation in general is just so labor intensive. Yeah. Uh, probably Cuphead. Yeah. But again, that might just be because I'm on it now, but you know, I mean like with Cuphead, we're working uh, at Netflix, which was kind of a startup company mm -hmm. they they'd never really done they never really had their own animation department before and suddenly they wanted to get into it in a very big way and they greenlit something like 25 shows at once with no real infrastructure no real internal studio so you know we kind of got greenlit and we're like i always use this this metaphor i'm like we're on a train going 150 uh, miles an hour, but we're trying to lay the track in front of us too, as we're going. Yeah. So this has been really, this has been really challenging, but, uh, I'm, I'm so glad the thing that's been great about it is that I think they, they, um, really let us make the show that we wanted to make creatively. They were super supportive. And I think we got to do a lot of things that we wouldn't have gotten to do at, a, at another studio. Mm -hmm. So you know, uh, it, it definitely had its, its major upside, but it's, it's been, it's been a challenge. That's good to hear, man. And it, it, I keep hearing, cause I had Jorge Gutierrez on a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, he, he's, he's on my Mount Rushmore as well. Um, his, his movie, the book of life fans are tired of hearing, but it. it's made me cry so many times that, that, that movie is so <laughs> beautiful. Um, <clears throat> But he, he said the same thing. It, it, and every time I hear it, it makes me sound like the early days of Cartoon Network. Because I had Fred on, too. I had Fred Seibert. I've had Linda on. And then just hearing, like, how much, I want to say freedom in the wrong, like, the freedom in the wrong sense. But they, they gave you guys the freedom to really flush out ideas. Because it, it was a new, it was a new enterprise. Cartoon Network 
there was no such thing as Cartoon Network before that wave of Cal Art students came in and everybody was trying to get a short made. And then they built it. I mean, they, they laid the foundation. What you were just talking about, that 150 mile an hour train trying to lay tracks. And I, I keep hearing the same thing from the Netflix animation is like we were we're going or we're building as we go. Everything is new in a sense. So it's cool to hear where it's got the shades of like an early cartoon network where they're trying to build that foundation to build upon and, and just explode in Netflix animation. I, I really enjoy hearing that uh, not only are you guys still having fun at Netflix, but it's, it's a place where animators are going obviously with some of the layoffs, we won't talk about any of that shit, but some of the layoffs and some of the shows being canceled, it's been a little tough on some people, but it's, it's nice to know that there's still, plenty of studios out there plenty of work to be had for people because you know going back 30 40 years there was kind of only a few different studios when it came to cartoon network nickelodeon disney but just how expansive animation has really gotten i mean you guys saved the film industry during covid i mean without animation there wasn't shit going on for almost a fucking year year and a half you know everything kept getting delayed everything kept getting pushed back so you guys really burden and that's why i absolutely hate when you see shit at the oscars where people are talking about how this shit is still for fucking kids they've obviously never watched fucking invincible that was one of the most phenomenal shows ever done and i wouldn't put my kid in front of that one great yeah. show fucking phenomenal so you what i'm getting at is to have soft clap for you guys because you guys saved the industry i don't give a fuck what any of those shallow ass actors want to say you guys <laughs> saved the industry man um, well thanks man I, I think we just felt fortunate that we were able to be able to do this working from home so with all the people that that did get layoff and couldn't do it like we saw from the other perspective like thank god we can still like make this and we're we're we felt we counted ourselves very lucky to be able to to do it yeah, and it's crazy what you guys did with so much shit going on too you know just all the hurdles that everybody had to jump through it, it's a lot of people pressure does two things and i brought this up multiple times pressure does two things bus pipes or makes diamonds you guys created a diamond with cuphead um well thank you i think we also busted a few pipes along the way too <laughs> but thank you really appreciate that no problem proof underscore owl 9301 wants to know who's your favorite cuphead character Oh man, that is, you know, again, that's like that Mount Rushmore question where that really is like trying to pick who's your favorite uh, child for sure. Um, I will say, you, you know, who's your favorite kid, Dave? <laughs> exactly. That depends. That changes daily, by the way, <laughs> sometimes hourly. Um, but I, I, you know, I guess I would say I really relate to Cuphead uh, because you know, they were like, they're growing up in this cottage kind of out in the middle of, of nowhere. And, uh, you know, Cuphead really longs for adventure. He learned, he longs for a more exciting life. And, um, you know, I grew up in very rural Arkansas mm -hmm. and we lived, uh, you know, kind of in a mobile home out in the middle of the woods. And so, instantly I could relate to Cuphead's feeling of like, man, I want to get out. I want to like, we never went to restaurants or even went to the movies. Like, so I was like, I very much related to that longing for like more like, oh my God, the idea of going to a museum or like just going to the city seemed so exciting to me as a kid. So I instantly related to him. And I mean, just as a footnote, now as an older man, I have two young sons. So I very much relate to Elder Kettle too. I feel like, 
for me, he's super easy to write for because he's always just like, well, you two stop fighting. Get off like, my card. <laughs> yeah, like stop setting the couch on fire. Like, so, I mean, those those two in particular, but man, I, I, I also love the devil. So I'm in Mugman, but yeah. There's my wishy-washy answer to that question. Beautiful, man. The devil is such a phenomenal character. I, I absolutely, <laughs> any scene he's in, I'm instantly like, it, you know how you can see somebody and not, not their physical appearance makes you want to laugh. Sometimes the physical appearance, I'm just trying to not be a dick about it, but you see somebody and you instantly just start laughing because they're funny, how they talk or how they move or how they hold themselves. It's the same thing with the character. Anytime I see the devil pop up, I'm instantly, I'm like, I'm going to have a good fucking time because this character is so fun like you think of the devil you're supposed to be afraid of this shit and i'm not a religious person i don't want to talk about religion but you're supposed to be afraid of this guy I'm like man this dude might be you know somebody to share a joint with or two you know it's, he'd be funny he'd have some cool stories to tell me he might tell me when i'm what not to do you know right that scene and i can't i think it was probably one of the last two episodes when he's saying he's got all the souls and the accountants coming in and then devil's just losing his shit. That whole fucking sequence is one of my favorite things I've seen in anything animated ever. I'll even take it one step further. Anything I've seen, that is one of my favorite scenes in anything I've ever seen ever. It's so fun. It's so just out there. It, it, it was just a blast. I really enjoyed the devil character. Wow. That's high praise, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I, I, think uh he's probably our most complicated character mm -hmm. uh but yet easy to write for because he's like at the same time he's very he's arrogant he's vain he's insecure but he also can like he's also a real force to be dealt with like he does have all the powers of the underworld so he can like you know level a forest yeah. But at the same time, he's kind of like a whiny baby. Like he complains to henchmen that like, you know, he's not being, he doesn't feel like he's being treated fairly yeah. or, you know, things aren't going his way. So he's really fun to, he's fun to write for. Um, yeah. And, and Luke Millington Drake that, that, that voices him too is just Perfect. phenomenal. He's yeah. so, he's so funny. Um, this one might be one that we'll have to skip over. It'll just be dependent on you when I ask it. Uh, White screen one four five six two wants to know, uh, and I don't know this this character, so I apologize ahead of time. Uh, will there be a future Goopy episode? Do you know what what he's asking about? I do, I do. Uh, you know, I probably can't answer that question. Okay, no problem. Yeah, <clears throat> he's one of the bosses in the in the Cuphead game. Okay, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know the game, so right, right. Another character, I love the brother bullfrogs or the brother frogs that yeah. reminded me so much of me and my younger brother it's just like anytime like i've told this story but anytime swat cats would come on back in the day that's like when a ceasefire would happen around the house and then as soon as swat cats went off we would fuck each other up by fighting and stuff. so just like seeing oh shit in the animal kingdom frogs do this too when they have brothers um here we go uh we've already asked that one um this is a really good one. Uh, ZX Lowy wants to know, uh, how do you set up a character's personality and build it up? I think that's a pretty cool, pretty cool question. Yeah, boy, that is a really good question. And you know what? I don't really, that that's, I think like, you know, early, I would say, God, it's, 
I wish I had better answers for this stuff. I always feel like I'm, you're kind of fumbling around in the dark and you're kind of experimenting and you find something. And it's like, I always equate this stuff. I'm like, you're, you're either panning for gold where you're trying to just find something that feels like, oh, that's something. And then it's like, and then you're sculpting to try to bring it into sharper focus. Mm -hmm. But I, I could use like, so the nice thing about working on Cuphead was there's like at the, at the head of this video game, there's like a little storybook that kind of sets up the premise of the video game. And it shows like Cuphead and Mugman living in the forest with, with Elder Kettle and they live this sort of like serene life. But lo like Cuphead longs for like more adventure. And then when they're in the woods one day, they sort of stumble across the devil's casino and Cuphead is a thousand percent in. And then there's a panel in this thing. It's, it's told as like little storybook panels. And there was like, um, there's a panel where like he's rolling the dice and you see Mugman like worried. Yeah. And it was like, okay, that's like, I felt like they, we, they dropped us like these little kernels. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, so that means Cuphead is probably like, he's the more reckless one. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really, he's not cautious. He's not thinking about consequences. So that feels like that's, that was sort of the root of his, of his uh, personality. And really with, with, with comedy, particularly with comedy characters, you want, you want characters that are going to create friction with one another. So, and you want contrast. So it's like, okay, if he's this cautious or like, if he's this reckless guy that doesn't think about consequences, then you want to pair him with somebody who's a little bit more down to earth and maybe a little bit more timid. And then you get like comedy friction. Yeah. So for me, I've mostly worked on comedy. So it's like, you're looking for, you're looking for like contrast and friction so that you get characters that have different points of view that are going to kind of butt up against each other. And that's where the comedy comes from. Beautiful. So same thing with like Todd Russell, like he's kind of a macho meathead. And then so pairing him with, with, uh, you know, a robot that was more, more a feat and like very uh you know kind of considered himself to be very intellectual like you're just sort of creating like an odd couple scenario there yeah everybody that's, that's exactly so that's usually that's usually where you start like usually if you can kind of figure out okay this is one character then what does that mean for the other characters and then you just start working at it that way beautiful and last one here and it shut down on me. So give me one more second. Cause I want to make sure I get the name uh, correct. <clears throat> I always butcher their name. So I'm going to make sure I read it real, real slow. It's Cosmic Comics Productions. Nailed it. Uh, when slash where will Time Squad be available to stream? Boy, I wish I knew the answer to that. Yeah. Um, I, if I ever know, I will let you know. Um, I would, I would love, I would love for that to be the case. I was, I was just thinking like, like up until about 10 years ago, I had people like, I'd, you know, I'd meet people and they'd go, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm an animation, I'm an animation director. And they'd be like, what have you done that I would have seen? And I'd be like, uh, nothing <laughs> like 25 years, like down the tubes. 
And then finally, it's like I got on the Mickey shorts and now I'm doing Cuphead. So it's like that's I feel like that's finally I can point to things that people would know. Um, but yeah, Time Squad's another one of those shows where it's like it's really hard to find. But uh, if it ever if it ever ends up anywhere, I will be the first one to let people know on Instagram or Facebook. Like, yeah, I would love I would love nothing more for sure. Yeah, us fans would, too. Well, like I said, Dave, uh, before we before we sign off, man, uh, if people want to know what Dave's up to, you know, not your usual whereabouts and all that other shit, but where can people come in and say, hey, man, I really like that thing that you do on that one show that I watch, man. Where can they find you on the social media? Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram mm-hmm. under uh, Arkansas Sugar Pants. Love it, man. You got my favorite <laughs> handle. <laughs> So yeah, drop me a line. You can always find me. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Beautiful man, and it's a well, it's well worth the follow to check out Dave over here because he puts up the shorts, he puts up some stuff he's working on. So it's really cool to see a lot of the inner workings or whatever you're working on or whatever you've worked on, seeing it up there because very diff- it's very difficult to sit over there and say sit down turn on the TV, find something, seek it out. So when you follow some people that you really enjoy and they're putting up stuff, it makes it so much easier to really just absorb what you guys are working on, what you're doing. But like I said at the beginning of this, man, I, I really enjoyed skipping school to watch the show that you created back, back so many years ago, man. I enjoy what you're doing now, and I'm so glad you're still in the industry, man. This has been a really fun chat for me. I really appreciate you. I didn't mean to take almost two hours of your time, but I really appreciate uh, you know the time you spent with me, man. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And no problem, man. He's been Dave. I've been Julian. This has been the What's in My Head podcast. And this has been another piece, a huge piece of your childhood. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.